Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4. And this message should come with a warning label. I'm going to run you all through the scriptures. We just This message is loaded with scripture. And I think it's so important as we kick off this series called Favor. Somebody say favor. How many of you want favor on your life? Mm, yes, indeed. This series is for you. We're going to take an in-depth look at the favor of God. Not just what man's opinion says. Not just what popular culture says, but what the Word of God says as it relates to favor. And in Luke chapter 4, really these two verses are the foundation that that will shape everything we say over the next five weeks as we look at favor and, and what it means to walk in favor and how to use the favor of God for kingdom purpose. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 18. And I just have to say this because every time I read this particular passage, it brings me back to about a year ago. I was in Israel. Has anybody ever been to the Holy Land? How many of you, you've never been, but it is a lifelong dream. You would love to take a trip to the Holy Land. Yes, indeed. Well, we, we do missions around here. We take a lot of trips, and so we've got a couple of trips to Israel for next year. I encourage you to check that out. But last year, I was in Nazareth, and we were brought to the synagogue that most scholars believe this passage was read. If you read in Luke chapter 4, you'll see that on the Sabbath, Jesus was there at the synagogue, and he took the scroll from Isaiah. So we're reading Luke chapter 4, but this is also what was recorded in Isaiah 61. And Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah, and he unrolled it, and he began to read these words, and this is what he says, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Come on, somebody say me. Spirit of God. You know God wants to place his Spirit upon people today. God wants to put favor upon individuals. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I like that. Notice the five things that he says here, and this is really going to form the the conversation here for the next five weeks. What does favor help produce? What is the favor of God for? The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, number one. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, number two, that the blind will see, number three, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. We're going to talk about those five things over the next five weeks. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let me ask you this question. Why would God place his Spirit upon you? Why? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, so that we can be cool. How many cool people do we have in the house? Yeah. I mean, how many of you, you just wake up and cool comes naturally to you? Yeah, you know, that, that used to be me, and I tell my kids that all the time. I used to be super cool. I mean, you have no idea how cool your daddy used to be. But then something happened to change all that. Kids. 
Yeah, they don't think my dance moves are cool. They don't think my jokes are funny. They don't like the music that I listen to. Why does God place his spirit upon people? Is it to be cool? The spirit of God upon me does not make me better than you. The spirit of God upon me makes me better than me. Come on, are you with me? Why does God place his spirit upon individuals? Is that so that you can, you, you can be better, you can be elite, you, you can distinguish yourself from others? No, no, no. The favor that God places upon people is not for us. I'm going to tell you this. Favor is not about status. Favor is about service. Are you with me? Why would God place favor upon a house, upon a church, upon an individual? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because it's not about status. It's always about service. And if you're taking notes, the topic today, and I want you to write this down somewhere, the first installment in this series of favor, we're going to talk about good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. Why would God place his spirit upon us so that we could proclaim good news to the poor? Now, let me give you some statistics about poverty, okay? And I know sometimes numbers can be numbing. And we dial out when all we hear is figures. But I want you to try to personalize this. Try to wrap your brain around some of these figures. 800 million people live in abject poverty. 800 million. 70 million are on the threshold of starvation every single day. They say that half of the children of the absolute poor will never live to see their fifth birthday. So consider that. Poverty is for real. There are 125 million infant deaths every week. Most of them are preventable with simple medical care or hygiene. Would you consider this? The average person in the poorest third of the world earns $300 a year. $300 a year. The average person in the richest third of the world earns about $18,000 a year. And so we live in this world with haves and have-nots. But how many of you have discovered that poverty wears many faces? There are many different faces of poverty. Poverty can be the homeless guy on the street corner. It can also be the AIDS and HIV orphan in Africa. But it can also be your next-door neighbor. Are you with me? You see, poverty is not necessarily about stuff. Sometimes when we think about poverty, we think about material possession. But I want to tell you this. You can have a lot of stuff and still be poor in spirit. Can I have a better amen? You can have a poverty mentality. You can live in a land of abundance and have a mentality of lack. You can have poverty of purpose. Sometimes there are guys that are extremely wealthy, but they're bankrupt in relationship, in marriage, estranged from their kids. They've sacrificed areas of their life for the almighty dollar. And I'll tell you this, they're poor in purpose. Poverty has a lot of different faces. The, the word poor in the Greek, I want you to consider this. The word poor in the Greek literally means one who crouches or cowers. One who crouches are cowards. It's the individual who feels no worth. They feel beat down in life. And yet the scripture says we have the opportunity to bring good news. Somebody say good news. To bring good news to the poor. I want to tell you this. The gospel is for the down and out. The gospel is for the up and out. The gospel is for those who can't figure it out. The gospel is for everyone. It crosses every socioeconomic divide. There's no boundary that contains the good news. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to preach good news 
to the poor. Now, I've got four simple thoughts. I've got a whole lot of information here, and I don't have a whole lot of time to share it, so I'm going to talk fast. I want you to lean in and listen fast. Are you ready? First thing I want you to write down, number one, Jesus identifies with the poor. Don't you love this about your Lord? He identifies with the have-nots. There was a man named Father Damien. He was a Catholic priest that was famous for working with lepers. He was born in 1840 in Belgium, but he sailed for a small village on the Pacific Island for the specific purpose of serving lepers. He was young, he was strong, he was healthy, and for 16 years he lived among them. He spoke their language, he bandaged their wounds, he built their homes and organized their schools. He personally, by himself, built over 2,000 coffins with his own hands so that these lepers could be buried with dignity. He was their doctor, their nurse, their carpenter, their engineer, as well as their priest and their friend. Soon the village became known, not for dying, but for a place to live. You see, Father Damien was not careful about being close in contact with lepers. In fact, he was too close, and they loved him for it. One day, Father Damien began his sermon with these two words. He said, we lepers. You see, he was no longer just trying to help them. He was one of them. He wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. He would live as they lived and eventually die as they died. He said, we lepers. And I think about the first sermon that Jesus preached. When he came to this earth, he said, we lepers. Jesus left the riches of heaven, and he stepped into the poverty of this world. I mean, consider how Jesus, and we're about to, we're stepping into the holiday season. I want you to consider the, the circumstances that Jesus stepped into. I mean, think about it. Jesus was born to parents who were peasants. I mean, they were penniless. Joseph was a, was a carpenter, and Mary was just a teenage girl. They had no resources. In fact, Jesus wasn't born in woman's hospital. In case you, I mean, that may surprise you. There weren't nurses checking on his vitals every 30 minutes. He didn't get hot food from the cafeteria. Come on, somebody. How many just go to woman's hospital and just eat lunch? Yeah, sometimes I'll schedule a lunch, lunch appointment at woman's hospital. He, Jesus wasn't born into that environment. He was born in a barn with filthy animals. Consider the, the community that Jesus grew up in, a small town called Nazareth. In fact, there was nothing special about Nazareth. In fact, people would look at Jesus and say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus identifies himself with the poor, and I love him for it. I think about his disciples. Think about those who chose to follow Jesus. They were misfits, were they not? The Bible says they were ignorant. They were uneducated. They were just common fishermen. And Jesus says, I want to hang out with you. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 8, verse 20, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was homeless? And we don't necessarily think in those terms when we talk about our Lord, but I'm so grateful that God would leave the riches and the glory and the splendor of heaven, and he would step into the brokenness and the poverty of our world. You know, several years ago, 
I remember our church was going through a season of prayer and fasting. In January, we spent 21 days in prayer and fasting. Nearing the end of this 21-day period, it was after a church service on a Wednesday night. Some of the guys got together and said, look, we're just going to pray all night. How many's ever pulled an all-nighter before? But it wasn't through prayer. Man, we were praying, man. We said, hey, let's just stay up all night. We're praying for revival. And we started praying for our streets and praying for our community. I was reading a book at the time called Irresistible Revolution. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, Shane Claiborne. It's a challenging read, talking about a heart for the poor. So we just started praying for the homeless in our community. I mean, we're praying fervently and passionately. And somebody gets the idea and says, wait a second. We can't just pray for the homeless from the comforts of our suburban church. We got to get on the streets. It's a great idea. So we say, hey, look, let's get together some, some, some food. Let's pass out food and some hygiene items. And, man, let's just go with a mission to serve the streets. We're going to spend the night on the streets. So I went home, and I told Rachel what we were going to do. I said, baby, look, I, I kissed her on the forehead. I said, good night. I don't know when you're ever going to see me again, but I'm off. It's like I was going off to war or something, you know? And so, man, we all huddled, about 15 of us, and we drove down to the inner city, and it was cold. It was bitter cold. It was raining. It was about, you know, 10 o'clock at night, and we're on the streets, and we're looking for homeless people. Couldn't find any of them. I mean, they had more sense than we did, you know. In fact, they were huddled up at the post office, you know, where there was some warmth, you know. We're walking up and down the streets, and, man, we're going to pass out stuff. We care about the streets of our city. And so we ended up finding a little storefront, and said, hey, let's just, we're going to park right here. Let's spend the night. We're going to sleep right here. Have you ever slept on cold, hard concrete? Miserable. Man, the idea sounded fantastic when we were praying. But once we got on the streets, man, it's like, ooh. I laid down on that concrete, and all I could think about was my warm bed. And I was just praying because we said, you know, we're going to stay out here till the sun comes up. About 2 o'clock in the morning, man, nobody was sleeping. We couldn't get comfortable. We were just praying for that sunrise. Son, hurry up and get here. You see, it was one thing for us to talk about the poor, another thing for us to pray about the poor, but it was a totally different thing to step into poverty. And yet this is what Jesus did for us. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 19, 17, the Scripture says it this way, if you help the poor... You are lending to the Lord, and God himself will repay you. Can I have a good amen? When you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Wait a second. I thought it was about the, the, the poor person. No, no, no. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you've cared for, when you've clothed, when you've fed, you thought it was for that individual, but it wasn't for that person. They were disguised as me. When you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and God will repay you. How many of you were taught that when you borrow something from someone, you always return it in better condition than when you borrowed it? How many of your parents taught you that? How many wish that your parents would have taught some other people that? Man, when that neighbor comes knocking on your door wanting that weed eater, and you're thinking, oh, man. I'll either never see it again or it's coming back broke, like no joke. Anybody? Yeah. Well, my father-in-law, he, I mean, he's amazing. He'll say, 
Mike, can I borrow your car? I'm like, yeah, sure, if you need it. Whatever I have is yours. And he'll borrow my car, and then he'll return it, and he'll say, hey, look, I just want you to know, man, it's got a full tank of gas. I was noticing that the tires are kind of worn on the front, so I replaced your two front tires. I heard a little knocking, and I think it was a timing belt, so I got that thing replaced. And, and so I'm like, wow, you can borrow my car anytime you want, Papa. In fact, there's some days I'll call him up and be like, Papa, do you need my car for anything? Because I know that when I get it back, it's going to come back to me in better condition. And yet God says when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord and I will repay you. How many of you know that when we get back whatever we've given up, it's coming back to us better in quality, in character, and in kind? Can I have a good amen? Jesus identifies with the poor. The second thing, number two, if that's true, if Jesus himself associates and identifies with the poor, number two, we can't ignore the needs of the poor. To our own detriment, we will overlook the poor and we will miss an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be advanced. Why is it that sometimes the poor can become invisible? Why is it that we can live in such a world of suffering and sometimes miss it and it's right in front of our doorstep? You see, listen, you don't have to go to Africa and serve an orphan. You can drive the streets of your own city. You can see poverty all around. Let me give you these three scriptures, okay? Back to back to back. Fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 21, 13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Somebody say, oh me. How many of you want God to be available in your time of need? Well, then we need to make ourselves available when the poor has a need. Uh, When I'm suffering and I call on Jesus, man, I want him to be right there at attention. And God says, what I do for you, I want you to do for them. Look at what it says in Proverbs 3, 27. Never, somebody say never, Never walk away from someone who deserves help, for your hand is God's hand for that person. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. Your hand becomes the very hand of God when you serve someone in need. I wonder how many people have prayed this weekend begging God for a miracle. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay my light bill. don't know how I'm going to feed my child. I don't know how I'm going to make that doctor's visit. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. And when we serve in compassion, we become the answer to the prayers that they've been praying. We literally become part of the miracle. The Bible says that when you give, your hand becomes the hand of God. Look at what this says in Proverbs 31, verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. You see, the Bible is littered with scriptures that remind us of our responsibility to the world God has placed us in. Literally, we can be the answers to the problems that plague our community. When Jesus identifies himself with the poor, then we have the responsibility not to ignore the needs. You know, Pastor Johnny was telling me uh, several weeks ago, he led a trip to Peru, a missions trip, this past summer, and his son was with him on that trip. 
And they were doing, they, they, they gave out a bunch of wheelchairs. If you've ever been to Peru and you've heard us talk about Pastor Robert Beringer and Camina DeVita, what a great church. Truly a church to serve the poor and the hurting. And that's why we feel so connected. We've got the same passion, that same DNA. And so they were, they were ministering outside of a hospital. They weren't allowed to, to specifically go into the hospital, but they were giving out hamburgers and hot dogs and trying to just talk and minister to people as they were coming in and out. He said there was a couple, a, a refugee couple from Venezuela, and they walked out of the hospital just in tears. And so as, as we engaged them, they began to ask, hey, well, what's going on? What happened? Well, she, the wife, just had a miscarriage, and they didn't have any money to pay for a medical procedure that was needed, and so the hospital sent them away. And so in tears, this father just collapsed on, on, on uh, Johnny's shoulder, and they just begin to pray for this couple. And as they're praying for this couple, Johnny's son said, Dad, um, I know they need prayer, but what they really need is money. I mean, God bless the prayer, but they don't have money for surgery. And so guess what? Everybody on that missions team, they pulled together their resources and had enough money to send this couple back into the hospital and give them the procedure that she desperately needed. Listen, when your heart is to God, then your hand is to man. See, when we realize that Jesus identifies with the poor, then he's going to give us what we need to serve their situation. And they say, well, pastor, I just feel like there's such overwhelming poverty, 800 million people. Well, I'm just one individual. What could I possibly do? I'll tell you this. And and I get that because I pray for the world just like you do. I, I see what's happening in our community, and it feels overwhelming. But let me just encourage you this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Sometimes we don't even do for one because we feel overwhelmed by everyone. If you'll just start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can, you can serve one individual and make a difference. You say, Mike, I don't have everything. But listen, you got something. You may not have everything. I don't have, every- I don't have infinite resource. But I do have something. Uh, Tanner was telling me about a, a lady that called the church, and she was having severe dental pain. And so she had heard that we do this dental outreach once a month. And I love the, the dentist and the doctors in this church who they lend their medical knowledge, and they volunteer their time and their services. And so she said, I've had such severe pain in my mouth. I need some teeth removed. Do you remove teeth? And we said, yes. Isn't that awesome? See, your generosity allows us to say yes. When so many people say no, we can say yes. She said, well, listen, I don't have any money, and I don't have any insurance. How much is it going to cost me to get some teeth removed? We said, nothing. You know what? She flipped out. She couldn't. I mean, it just—it was hard for her to wrap her brain around this kind of, 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 of procedure would be free for her. She said, you know what? I haven't smiled in years because I'm just so ashamed and embarrassed of how my mouth looks. She said, you know what? Today, you brought a smile to my face, and I won't stop smiling. You know what? When we, when we see a need and we're able to meet it, the kingdom of God advances. Jesus said, when you throw a party, check this out. I I, I love the spirit of the kingdom. He says, when you throw a party, you don't invite the who's who of the Christian zoo. Here's who you invite. 
Jesus said in Luke 14, listen to this. He says, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Come on, somebody say the streets. Say the alleys. I love it. Who do you invite? Invite the poor. Invite the crippled, those that are blind, and those that are lame. Jesus says, I'm going to throw a party, and the guest of honor will be the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Don't you love it? You know what we'll do over the next several weeks throughout the holidays? We're going to throw some parties. We're going to have a party for kids in the inner city. We're going to St. Jude's Hospital and throwing a party for kids at St. Jude's. Uh, We're going to foster care. Many of you know God's given us great favor with the foster care agents in, in this community. We're throwing parties for kids because we want them to know you matter to God, and so you matter to us. You see, loving people, I want you to hear this. Loving people means caring without an agenda. And the minute you have an agenda, it's no longer love. Did you catch that? And what we do as a church, we give with no strings attached. We serve with no strings attached. Because the minute there's a string attached, it's no longer love and compassion. You know, I remember a while back, I was, I think, where was I headed? I was somewhere off a college drive. And uh, traffic was crazy. Have you ever, how many of you are creatures of habit? And you just instinctively, naturally, you do things without thinking. I think I could close my eyes, let go of my steering wheel, and it will, my Honda will find its way into a Chick-fil-A parking lot. <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, I, it's like a homing device. I, 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 can't, I fight it. I see, I see that Chick-fil-A sign, and I'm trying to resist, and it just, I, I end up going through Chick-fil-A. And so uh, I remember I was headed to Chick-fil-A, and I see this homeless guy on the street corner, and he's holding a sign. Now, if you're like me, you probably think a thousand different thoughts. Sometimes we're like, okay, don't, don't, don't look. Don't look. If, if I look at him and he sees me looking at him, then the rules of engagement, now I'm obligated, right? And so, man, we kind of get on our phone or turn on the radio. I'm looking the other way. The guy's right there. And so, you know, and now, now don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm, I'm just as human as you are. But I'm thinking about a thousand different things. Okay, is this like, is, is this... Is he working in conjunction with about four or five other guys? You know, I mean, it's just kind of this undercover operation or, you know, maybe, maybe he's just, you know, he's strung out on something and I can't give him any. I don't want to support his habit or, you know, maybe he might kill me. And so as I'm trying to process all these thoughts, I ended up, before I could organize the thoughts in my mind, I opened my mouth. Okay, I don't know if you've ever done that. You ever, you know, opened your mouth before you engaged your brain? Yeah, so I rolled down my window. I said, hey, dude, are you hungry? Because I'm headed to Chick-fil-A. Come on. (laughs) He just plopped right in next to me. He had a a camo duffel bag. Man, and, and whoo. Brother, I, I could, he had, there, was a, there was a certain aroma that came with him. He's in my car with his duffel bag, and man, he just starts unpacking his life. I didn't have to ask any questions. He just, man, he wanted to talk, and it was cold that day. And I remember he jumped in the car, and I'm like, man, hey, man, what's your name? He said, my name is, I forget what his name is. He said, you can call me T Man. I'm T Man. I'm like, hey, okay, T Man, my name's Mike. And man, it's, uh, I'm glad you're hungry, dude. Waffle fries, bro. I love, do you like that Polynesian sauce? You know, so I'm talking to him about Chick-fil-A. And uh, he said, look, 
I just want you to know, man, look, hey, my life has been a mess, dude. I've been in and out of jail three times. I stabbed the man. I was like, (laughs) oh, sweet Jesus, glory. Lord, I just worship you. And I'm checking that backpack, you know. He said, "I, I stabbed the man. I've been in and out of jail three times and got released 10 days ago. Jesus, take the wheel. And so he's talking, man. I don't tell him I'm a pastor. I just, all, all I am, I'm just Mike, and this is T-Man, and he's killed somebody, and then we're going to have lunch at Chick-fil-A together. <laughs> and he said, he told me, and these guys are just real bold, man. And they, I mean, they have nothing to hide. He said, look, look, in, look, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. Tell me what you see. I was like, I don't want, I'm not sure I want to look. Tell me what you see. Look in my eyes. He said, man, I've just been strung out on drugs. Strung out. He said, I've, I've got a crack issue. He said, man, I, I can't get free from it. Just, look in my eyes. Tell me what you see. And so he starts telling me about the bondage that's in his life. I could see brokenness and pain. And something rose up inside of me. I said, look into my eyes. Look, look at me, T-man. Look, look into my eyes. What do you see? He said, I see the love of God. Well, he said, I didn't, I didn't tell him anything about me. He don't know me. He said, I see the love of God. I said, T-Man, that's right. And God sent me here to remind you that he has not forgotten about you. He sees you in all of your pain, in all of your shame, and God has a plan and a purpose. I don't think it was an accident that you crawled into my Honda. It's me and you and Jesus right now. Let's go get some, some chicken nuggets and let's pray. And I'm not advocating that you got to pick up everybody you see on the side of the streets. This is not about guilt, okay? Rachel was not with me. The kids were not with me. I was by myself. And I figured if he killed me, at least I died in the parking lot of Chick-fil-A. Y'all come visit me a whole lot, you know? I don't know what happened, but we prayed. I fed him. We prayed. Did he receive Jesus? I don't know. But guess what? A seed was planted in his life that day. And if you and I could be responsible to plant seeds... Listen, listen to this poem. It's called The Pit. Check this out. A man, a man fell into a pit and could not get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in the pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you wouldn't be in that pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary, pounds and square inches, to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. An evolutionist said, you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, he is going to die in the pit so he can't produce any more pit-falling offspring. The parish inspector said, do you have a permit to dig that pit? A professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could get worse. A pessimist says, things are going to get worse. But Jesus saw the man in the pit, took him by the hand, and lifted him out. You see, I believe Jesus will bless the church that prioritizes the poor. 
And it is no secret that healing, you drove past a sign this morning, that big monument sign on Highland Road, it says something about the mission of this church. A healing place for a hurting world means that we go after the least, the lonely, the last, and the lost. And God told us 25 years ago, he said, if you'll go after the people that nobody wants, I'll give you people that everybody wants. You see, you need to know the church that God's called us to be and the mandate that he's placed upon us. Are you catching this today? I need to wrap this thing up. I can't believe I have run out of time. Number one, Jesus identifies with the poor. Number two, we can't ignore the needs of the poor. Number three, the gospel is our greatest need. The gospel. I want to ask the band to come up. The gospel is our greatest need. The gospel literally means good news. Somebody say good news. Let me ask you this. What is good news to a hungry man? Something to eat. What is good news to a sick child? Medicine. What's good news to a homeless family? Shelter. What's good news to a village with dirty water? A well. But let me ask you this. What good is a full belly and an empty soul? What good is a healthy body if you're sick in spirit? What good is a roof over your head without God's home in you? What good is clean water without the fountain of living water? You see, listen, the gospel isn't good news to you until it reaches you. Oh, it's good news is out there, but it's not good news to you until that good news reaches you. You say, Pastor, what are we talking about here today? We're talking about power and reaching the it's not just proclamation, but it's in demonstration. Do you see? You know what we're doing today? We are proclaiming good news. We are proclaiming the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's proclamation. But guess what? The world needs to see it in demonstration. You know, several years ago, Rachel and I, we were, we were out on a date, a Friday night date night. As we were driving, it was probably 7 o'clock at night. We were driving down the road came to an intersection and two lanes going the same direction two lanes come the opposite direction the light was red we'd stop the car in front of us stopped and i noticed those four doors of the car in front of us flew wide open and a bunch of teenagers jumped out and they all started running around laughing cutting up pointing each other running around and switch seats and got back in the car shut the doors i looked at rachel i was like babe did you see that she's like oh yeah i said did you ever do that when you were a teenager? She said, yeah. I said, me too. Didn't think much of it. Light turns green. We go forward. The next intersection, light turns red. We stop. They stop. Same thing. Four doors fly open. They all run around. Laughing, cutting up. Got back in the car. I said, babe, the next red light. She said, oh, no, you don't. I, babe, look, just trust me on this. The next red light, okay, if that car is in front of us at the next red light, you and I are popping the locks on these doors. We're getting out, and we're running not just around our car, but we're going to run around their car too. She said, babe, we can't do that. What if they know you? I said, even better. So sure enough, at third intersection, light turns red, and my heart was pounding. Boom, we popped the locks, got out of the car. Woo! <laughs> hey, 
God. Whoa. We ran around them. They looked at us like. <laughs> they thought we were, we were smoking something, man. And what is wrong with him? Got back in the car. I couldn't even catch my breath. She's like, babe, what just happened? I said, I don't know. But that felt so fun. Let's never do that again. You see, some of you, some of you, you need to pop the locks. And you need to open some doors. And you need to get out of what's comfortable for you. And you need to step into some brokenness and some pain that other people have been carrying. You see, something about good news, the gospel, it's got to go somewhere. The gospel has to go. It's the go of the gospel. We can't, what do we do with favor? What do we do with the spirit of God that we feel in this place? Shame on us if we keep all that favor to ourselves. Because the favor on you, it's not just for you. It's for somebody else. You know what God's saying? Pop the locks. God's saying, open the door. God's saying, step out of your routine. Step out of what's comfortable. Notice the poverty and the need around you. And when you do, listen to me, listen to me. Here's the thing. When you do, God says, I will anoint you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. When you and I make a commitment to bring good news, we are met with the anointing of Almighty God. He says, I'll anoint you. I'll empower you. Think about it. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 8, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, come on somebody, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. So that by his poverty we might be rich. I want you to know you are wealthy. You are wealthy. You serve a God who embraced poverty so you could be rich in his spirit. Can I have a good amen? Do you believe that today? Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.